Wizards, Rainmakers, Rockstars, Gorillas, and Guru. WebmasterRadio.fm. Come visit our magical Webmaster Wonderland. We got a mouse, too. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. Stand by for the hook. Welcome to The Hook with Katie Kempner, Vice President of Agency Communications at Crispin Porter and Bogusky, the most awarded advertising agency in the world. Every Tuesday at the intersection of advertising and PR. The Hook, where Katie talks with advertising visionaries, top journalists, cutting-edge creatives, authors, and PR gurus. Hear what these industry insiders have to say about the changing landscape of advertising and PR today. Now here's your host, Katie Kempner. Hello, I'm Katie Kempner. Today is Tuesday, November 21st, and you are listening to The Hook, where each week I talk to advertising, branding, and public relations insiders who are both leading and covering the industry. My hope is that by listening to my various guests, you will find new forms of inspiration that you can use in your life and have lots of fun along the way. So today is a show that I've really been looking forward to. I have on back my friend Warren Berger, who was also one of my very first guests, and yet he's willing to come back. Hello, Warren. Hey, Katie. How are you doing? It's great to be back. Thank you. Thank you. So you'll have to let me know if you think I've sort of honed my skills or I'm still all over the place. (laughs) I will. I will do that. I'll be judging you as we talk. Judge me. Yes, judge me. So first, I wanted to just, for anyone who doesn't know you, which I find it hard to believe, I just wanted to sort of give a very quick bio on you. Um, You've written about advertising for the past 15 years for publications like the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, Business 2.0, and Advertising Age, and you were a longtime contributing editor at Wired Magazine. Five years ago, you wrote um, Advertising Today, which was named one of the best books of 2001 by Barnes & Noble. Um, What else can we talk about? Uh, Now you're editor, or you've served as editor of one magazine, which I want to talk about. And also, currently, you return to writing about advertising with your new book, Hoopla, which was co-created with CPB. And uh, I want to talk all about Hoopla because it comes out uh, in just a few weeks. And uh, where should we start, Warren? Where should we start? Well, we can start with, um, you know, I just came back from an interesting uh, conference this weekend um, that was all about uh, design. And it was, it was a combination of a symposium and, a, um, and also an exhibit in Chicago at the uh, Museum of Contemporary Art where uh, a designer named Bruce Mao. Um, he's a pretty well-known Toronto designer. Mm-hmm. Um, he opened up a show there that's basically about, uh, you know, how design is being used to do so many amazing things today, or it can be used to do amazing things, you know, from uh, uh, beyond what you think of. You know, you may think of design as either fashion design or, uh, or maybe just creating cool objects. But, you know, Mao's point is that design is being used to address all these things like transportation issues and how we can uh, create better housing for people, um, how we can, you know, solve the hunger problem through design. So it was a really interesting show, and it kind of, you know, broadened my mind a lot about design, 
which is also a really huge thing in the business world and the marketing world right now. You know, I, I, I'm sure you're aware people are talking about design all the time these days, mm-hmm. and um, it's almost becoming the new advertising, you know, in terms of, um, of uh, taking advertising to another level. So, so that's kind of interesting. That, that's, that's, a, that's quite a way to put it. Now, of course, for anyone who doesn't know, Bruce Mao Designed is owned by MDC Partners, which is my second job, and also MDC Partners is, um, owns a, a minority stake in Crispin Porter and Bogusky. So we know Bruce pretty well, and um, are, you, are you working on anything with him right now? Um, I'm thinking about doing a book on Bruce Mao, and um, we're in the formative stages right now, and, you know, the reason I want to do a book on him is not just because he's an interesting guy, but I think he, you know, with a, when you want to do a book, um, an important book or a book that has some significance, you kind of look for somebody who represents something larger. And I, I think Bruce uh, embodies something larger that's going on right now with design, which is that sort of the definition of design is changing, and people are looking at it as a tool that can do a lot of things that they that it didn't do before, that they never thought of it that way before. And, uh, you know, Bruce is, is so out there. I mean, you know, he's he thinks of design as basically solving all of the world's problems, which is very interesting and very ambitious, and it's just fun to look at and talk about. But if you scale it back to, to just a business standpoint, um, you know, or a marketing standpoint, what's interesting is that design is... In the same way you can look at it as a holistic way to so- solve, you know, sort of world problems, you can look at it as a holistic way to solve a lot of the problems that a company or a brand might have and to try to tie together all these pieces that used to be separate and they used to be handled, you know, by different departments and different ways. And design is part of the way that you can kind of link a lot of that stuff and bring it together. You know, whether it's advertising mm-hmm. combined with PR, combined with the packaging on your products, combined with the architecture of your stores, you know, all of these things in a way are connected or they should be connected. They should be sort of giving the same signal to everyone and telling everyone the same thing or the same message that you want to tell the world. But in the past, they were all disconnected. You know, um, yeah. An agency would do the ads, and that had nothing to do with the, the designer who designed the packaging, which in turn had nothing to do with the the uh, the employees and how they were um, trained. Um, you know, so this is kind of a new idea that you have to tie things together. And um, uh, I talked to I did talk to Mao about this because he's very interested in the business side of this as well, and he has some theories on it. You know, he he kind of says that. You know, it used to be about, marketing used to be about what you say, what a company said to the world. And it's increasingly becoming about what you do instead of just what you say. You know, so you can't just tell people something, some sales pitch. You can't just say, we're the greatest product in the world, buy our products, you know, so forth. It can't just be that, that talk. Um, uh, Companies are being judged and brands are being judged now on a lot of levels. You know, people have all this information because of the Internet, and they know what you're doing. I mean, you can't tell people you're a great company and then, uh, you know, treat your employees like crap or have, have a really bad manufacturing process that pollutes the world or you know, do all these other things, or, or have a lousy product that everybody hates, because now the information will get out there, and everybody kind of knows 
um, if you're if you're a faker as a company. You're not going to be able to necessarily cover that over with just ad messages. So, you know, that's part of what is sort of going to get to in coming years, I think. It's going to try to help brands and companies figure out how can we address all the parts of the puzzle of the company and then make sure everyone, the public, sees that we're very consistent, that we're a consistently good company, we're good in a lot of different ways, and then, you know, get that message across, and that's what's really going to make our brand very, very strong to people. Because you're really talking, he's really talking about a, a holistic approach from the inside out, which is yeah. something that, you know, at CPB, which you know, because, you know, you, you've covered us for so long, and right. you've been writing this book, is really how... You know how we. Yeah, you guys have been doing it for a while. Yes, there's yeah. there's various people that you know that understand this. You know, CPB is one. Yeah. There's there's some other agencies that get it. Um, uh, there are some designers that get it. Uh, you know, I think maybe maybe part of the reason CPB uh, got into this pretty early is because uh, you know Alex Bogusky has a has a design background. You know, it, it seems to designers seem to think this way naturally because it's a funny thing. I mean, designers are a funny breed. They, they, they have always had to put together the pieces of something. You know, they have to figure out how the brochure works with the logo and how this works with that. Yeah. And so they've always had to have kind of a holistic view of things and how, how different pieces work together to create one consistent um, image. That's a big part of design. And so they are very well suited to this new revolution and this new way of thinking about branding because they're very good at looking at the big picture and they're very good at making sure all the pieces are going to fit together. Yeah. So it's, a good, time to be a, it's a good time to be a designer. <laughs> it's a good time to be a designer, absolutely. So let's, talk, let's, let's just jump right along and talk about uh, going from design. We'll kind of segue into one magazine, which you're the editor of. And right. I noticed in the current issue of One Magazine, it talks about uh, ads gone wild. Right. So, so sort of unconventional advertising, which seem, seems to be back in fashion. I mean, can, yeah. can you explain that a little bit and we can chat about that? Yeah. Well, um, you know, I, I, when I was writing advertising today, I, I came up with this, or I think I coined this phrase. Maybe, maybe people were using it before me, but I don't know. I, I think it was. I think I was the first, but who knows? Um, but I started calling this certain kind of ads advertising, ODD, advertising, because it was so weird. There was a point I was writing the book back, you know, during the dot com or just par- prior to the dot com revolution, and. Back then, you were seeing ads get weirder and more outrageous and more strange. You know, you were seeing, yeah. especially the dot-com advertisers would do things like, in a commercial, they would have someone shoot a gerbil out of a cannon, you know, and they would just do um, stunts and really wild stuff. And part of the reason they were doing that was it was just such a crazy time in advertising and in marketing then that um, people felt they had to really stand out. They had to really push the envelope in order to stand out. Some of it was successful, some of it was not successful, but it was sort of a wild time in advertising. Then after 9-11, I think things calmed down a bit, and and the mood of the country, you know, uh, of the world um, dictated that, you know, you probably didn't want to be as outrageous. Um, You had to be a little bit Mm -hmm. more uh, down-to-earth, you know. But now, I think now that we're a few years removed from that, um, we're seeing the pendulum start uh, swing back to, I would say, very edgy work, 
um, very, you know, work that's very, that can be outrageous, um, humor that is absurd. There's a lot of absurdity. You know, one of my favorite commercials recently was done for um, uh, Skittles candy, mm-hmm. um, which uh, TBWA Shiat Day does their ads. And they've actually done a few different really weird, crazy ads. But the one I love is, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's a guy with a beard um, who goes in for a job interview. And um, during the course of the interview, he's got a really long beard. And during the course of the interview, his beard begins to do weird things. Uh, <laughs> while, while the woman interviewing him is trying to do her job and do the interview, his beard is like sneaking around the edges of the desk, and then it's starting to rub her very softly on the cheek. And, it's, you know, and, and the ad is so creepy and so weird, and they, they like never acknowledge that all this weird stuff is going on. The woman just sort of looks at the beard, but she doesn't talk about it. And, and the guy is really bizarre in the ad. He just sort of, sort of laughs in a sinister way. And um, it, it's, it's, I've talked to people who see that ad, and you watch it, and you just want to watch it again and again because it's so creepy and weird, and you can't figure out what's going on. And that's a good example of advertising. I mean, it's just, if you'll see a lot of commercials sort of like that right now out there, mm-hmm. and where, where they have edgy characters. Um, you know, Geico is doing this thing with this caveman guy, which is, I don't know if you've seen that, but it's 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 a very people edgy, love that. Yeah, it's it's a, the guy that character is really weird. You know that that caveman character because normally in the old days if you if you were going to put a caveman in an ad, you know you'd turn it into a big joke. You know, oh here's a guy in a caveman suit, and you know he'd maybe make some funny remark or something like that. But this is a caveman guy who's like acting just like a regular person, and he's really pissed off. Uh, I'm sorry, but the language, he's really, he's really mad. <laughs> it's the internet. That, you can say anything. Oh, I can say that. No. Okay, great. He, he's really mad that, that people are sort of treating him like a caveman, and it's like really getting under his skin, and it's really beginning to, and, and he's like, he looks like he's about to really get, go off on somebody. or, or Club or, or somebody. Just, yeah, club somebody. But they kind of just leave it that way. You know, they don't ever take it to the limit. They just sort of show this guy walking around getting really, really mad. And um, it's just really weird but interesting, you know. And that's what, that's what advertising is doing these days. It's, and, you know, Burger King's doing it. You guys are doing it with the king. The king is a really weird, is a really weird mascot. You know, I mean, it, 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 it defies all the rules of mascots who are supposed to be, you know, friendly and cute and all that. The king is weird. You know, he just, he, he, sort of, he, sort of, he sort of creeps you out a little bit, you know. You think he's and weird? You think the king's think weird. weird? What? What? <laughs> I, I think the king is weird, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that the fact that he has that sort of unsmiling or he has that weird frozen face and um, that he shows up in places, you know, so unexpectedly and he just sort of freaks people out. Um, I think that makes him weird. I think that makes him um, edgy and it makes him a little creepy, just slightly creepy. Just and, slightly creepy. Yeah, and I think in a good way, though. You know, I think creepy is, is the new thing that people are going for. Um, it's, it's somehow, when something is slightly creepy, it makes you pay attention and it makes you want to watch it again and it makes you say, you know, the reaction to advertising is people just, they turn to each other and say, wow, did you see that? You know, that was really weird. I want to see that again. And that's exactly what the advertiser wants. You know, they want that kind of a reaction to it. So so that's sort of a, a big trend right now. I mean, it's come back to advertising as a way to just kind of, you know, stand out and a way to... Um, I think it's a way to connect with younger audience a little bit because the younger audience today has a very offbeat sense of humor. You know, they don't like um, Henny Youngman jokes. You know what I mean? They don't yeah. like 
they don't like old-fashioned humor. They like new-fashioned humor, which is which is edgy and which is sarcastic, and which is you know um, and maybe subtle, where you don't quite know. You have to figure out the joke. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it's it's also interesting because, like, if you go to when we did, when CPB did Subservient Chicken, which is another thing that was sort yeah. of creepy and weird. And, yeah, exactly. You know, and people said, oh, but uh, re- really the chicken was made because we were trying to sell these these sandwiches. And people said, yeah, but is that going to sell sandwiches? You right. know, and same thing with the creepy guy with the beard. Is that going to s- sell Skittles or is the right. king going to sell? But, you see, but, but here's an example. Take the Subservient Chicken, okay? Yeah. You guys were doing advertising with the subservient chicken. If you weren't doing advertising, you wouldn't have put a garter belt on the chicken. Okay, I mean, that was the tip-off. Warren, right did you that think was... that was odd? No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I thought that was very, very odd. That you, you know, that the whole thing was done to suggest almost a, you know, a slightly S and M porn, porn room, porn film setting in in the room where you saw the subservient chicken, and. Um, that is what makes it odd. You know, that, that's what, because again, in an old-fashioned way of advertising, you would have had a cheerful chicken bouncing around, you know, and uh, when you add that extra dimension of weirdness to it, that is what makes it sort of resonate with people, um, and, and especially with, with, younger, with the younger audience, I'd say. You know, uh, they would be bored to death by just a chicken, but you give them a, a guy in a chicken suit who there's something weird about it. You know, there's something sort of... Um, you know, subservient in a, in a, in a, in a you know, su- slightly suggesting the S&M meaning of that, you know. Um, mm-hmm. That's what adds that other dimension to it. And, and I guarantee you that's a big part of why people loved it. I mean, the other part that people loved was just that it was so weird that you could interact with something the way you did with that site. And it was, there was something slightly magical about it, that, that this guy would do exactly what you typed in on your keyboard. And... Um, you know, you couldn't figure out how that was happening. Like, how is it I could type something into my keyboard and this guy standing in front of me does it? You know, it, it was there was a magic there that was also a big part of the success of that. Which but is I think disturbing the for people to know that really and truly there aren't that many different things that people are going to ask you to do. It, that right. was really what cracked me up about that because when I first started we were doing that and I was trying to, you know, and I was asking, well, what's the technology? How, you know, how's this going to yeah. work? And it turns out that if you ask, you know, 200 people to have the chicken do something, even all the naughty, unexpected things, which, right, right. as you know, the chicken wouldn't do, but even so... There aren't that that many, you know. No, no, people are pretty predictable, you know. Which people is, are which pretty is, predictable. <laughs> yeah, and uh, that's why the internet, uh, with interactive, uh, you know, advertising, you can a lot of times predict what people are going to say and do, and therefore you can prepare your response in advance or your, you know, various responses in advance, and um, you know, it's 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 a big it's a it's a big thing with with internet marketing. Well, let's talk a little bit about advertising and Internet marketing and specifically YouTube and and the lack of control, you know, this advertising goes into once once your spots go up on YouTube. Well, what's interesting is um, the YouTube phenomenon is going to encourage more advertising. And the reason why is that part of the – just as advertising makes people want to talk about an ad – an advertising film is the kind of thing that will get passed around on the Internet. If you create something really weird that, that sort of baffles people in, in a good way, 
uh, or, or, or s- sort of scandalizes them. You know what I mean? It's, it's sort of, mm-hmm. That's the kind of thing that they will want to pass around to their friends. Okay? So what you've got going on now is you've got a lot of marketers saying, can I create a little, bit of, a little piece of advertising that is maybe a web film, a two-minute web film, and then get it on YouTube, and then hopefully it becomes this viral phenomenon. You know, and and so YouTube, you know, you're seeing even some big companies try to play into this. I think Folgers, which is part of of Procter and Gamble, uh, recently created this film, um, this this viral film where um, where all the characters, because they're drinking coffee, are like these happy maniacs, and and it's really um, again, it's creepy and weird and very funny. And mm-hmm. it became very popular on the internet. It started going around um, like crazy on the internet. You know. Um, also, I've seen um, uh, a couple of other people have done these type of you know um, uh, uh, films like uh, what was it? Uh, Smirnoff. Smirnoff had a um, a drink that they were uh, promoting that was like an iced tea drink, but it was alcoholic iced tea, which sounds kind of weird. But they had something along those lines, and they created an, uh, a short little uh internet film uh to promote it where they had these um because it was iced tea the idea where these preppy people who looked like they were just off the you know they were from connecticut you know and they were they were dressed in a very preppy way um they were promoting the idea of, of having this alcoholic iced tea and having your own tea party but they were doing it in a hip hop style they would do they created like a rap video so you had these preppy guys rapping about uh, about tea iced tea and they called it tea parte and it was very funny i mean it was it was it was a very cute little film but it got on youtube and it just went crazy i mean it started getting passed around like uh, unbelievably once it got on youtube and so that was another example of that kind of viral you know phenomenon that can just take off when you do something really offbeat and entertaining and and fun now you there know, was, by the way, yeah, yeah. I was going to say there was a downside to that, by the way, which was that, um, uh, from what I heard, uh, Smirnoff eventually became uncomfortable with the fact that this film was circulating um, on YouTube so much, and the reason they became uncomfortable was that it started to become clear that teenagers really liked this little film and they were passing it around, mm-hmm. and then that raised that raised this whole issue for Smirnoff because they were like, um, you know, they have to be very careful about seeming as if they're marketing to teenagers because they're, they're a liquor brand. And so they got really skittish about the whole thing, and I believe they, they you know, they, they stopped talking about the film and they, they, they tried to not really, you know, push it anymore. But, of course, it, the, one of the things about the Internet and YouTube is once it's out there, once something's out circulating, it's not really your choice anymore to say, Oh, you know, I don't, I'm not really comfortable with this thing going around anymore. So let's take it off YouTube. You can't do that. You know, you really once once you release this thing, you know, it's like you've let the genie out of the bottle, and it's going to get passed around, and it's going to be used by people in whatever way they want, and you don't have much say in it. And that's one of the scary parts of the whole YouTube uh, phenomenon for advertisers is that you can't control it. Um, yeah. And once people start talking about your ad or talking about your brand, they're going to do what they're going to do. And you just have to ride the wave. And they may even make fun of your ad. They may, they may criticize it. They may make a mock version of your ad and then, st- and then put that up on YouTube. And that starts going around. And 
you know, the advertiser, I think, has to have a very thick skin about all this stuff because, um, you know, they can't do, they, there's not much they can do. If they want to play in this field of, of YouTube and Internet marketing, they've got to be willing to, you know, really ride with things and not get too sensitive and not get too worried about what happens. And that's a tough thing for advertisers. They're not used to that. They're used to being able to control the shot, you know, call the shots and control everything and say, here's where my ad's going to run and here's where it's not going to run and I want it to look exactly like this. They're used to even saying, you know, the editorial opposite my ad, I want want an article about such and such to be opposite my ad. They're used to control and now they have to, if they're going to play in this particular realm, they have to understand that they don't have control. Well, Bob Garfield wrote a big, um, Bob Garfield from Advertising Age wrote a big article um, about YouTube. It says, YouTube grows up, but what does it mean? And it was in this issue of Advertising Age, and I guess it's also in Wired. It's it's coming out um Okay. And wired, and it's it's really a pretty interesting article. And there's one part of it though that's talking about something that I think advertisers spend a lot of time thinking about, which is okay, can it thrive? And it says, as somebody once said, a hundred million people can't be wrong; they can, right. however, be useless. It turns out that success is one percent inspiration, ninety nine percent monetization. They've got right. the audience, says John Montgomery, CEO of Mindshare Interaction. Uh, a digital arm of WPP Group, in order now to monetize what they've got, they need to figure out a revenue model, but it's a very, very hard thing to do around user-generated media. Yeah, sure. Yeah, well, that's a whole different discussion. I mean, whether YouTube is going, yeah. to, is going to survive or not, I think it will. Um, anything that is that popular is going to find a way to survive. Or someone else is going to do, or someone else is going to do something exactly like it. Maybe it won't be called YouTube anymore. But the point is, what we know now is that people want that kind of a video service. They're really hungry for it. I used YouTube today because I wanted to know, um, and this is the perfect way that YouTube works. Okay, mm-hmm. I had heard about the whole incident involving Michael Richards. Uh, of Seinfeld. Yeah, what and did you do that for? I don't understand. I don't know. I don't know. But but then I heard somewhere. <laughs> uh, then I heard somewhere. Oh, he was on Letterman last night, and yeah. he did a big apology. And so all you have to do is go to YouTube and type in Michael Richards and Letterman, and you can watch that segment that you missed last night. And this is why YouTube is so great. You know, I mean, I, I, anything that happens in the video world that I need to see, you I can, can go in to. and see it. I can see it in one minute. And that, to me, is the real value of it. Now, people are people. How many people are going to spend all day going through all the things on YouTube and going through all the obscure little films that have been created and going through ads that are put on there? I don't know, but I know that there's a huge market for what YouTube is doing, uh, which is making all of this video instantly available to you and and sorting it for you and helping you find what you need and um and so i think that something like it is going to be out there and the question is you know how advertisers can can use it to their advantage and i think that the only way the only way they're going to use it to their advantage is if they can create content that is so compelling that it's going to get passed around YouTube and it's going to get people are going to say to their friends, "Hey, you got to see this." And they're going to they're going to, you know, they're going to give it give it great scores, great comments, and it's, you know, it's going to take off. And that's the only way. I mean, if you try to put junk onto YouTube, it doesn't matter. If you want to if you want if you try to load 
uh, one of your reg- ordinary run-of-the-mill commercials on YouTube, it's, nothing's going to happen. It's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to have any impact at all. The only way you're going to have an impact on YouTube is if you create something really cool. And, and that's, you know, that's going to be a big thing. That's going to be a big um, imperative for advertisers, I think, in days ahead. So now, just to finish up this advertising topic then, you think we're going to be seeing more of this, less of it as, as time goes on? Yeah, Where do you think it's it. going? I think it's going to be more and more because for two reasons. Part of it just has to do with sort of the sensibility of people today, which is they like a certain kind of humor and they like, they like absurdity and they like things that are intriguing and offbeat and they even like things that are weird and creepy. Uh, they like all that stuff. And so um, to appeal to that sensitivity or sensibility, you're going to see more advertisers get in the game. You know, it used to be this was a game that only um, smaller agencies, uh, you know, a few years ago, an agency like CPB, when it was a smaller agency, might have played on this turf of of being edgy and being, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of out there. Uh, And it used to be for smaller brands, you know, entrepreneurial brands. Not anymore. You know, now... I think even the big brands, the big companies understand that if, if this is the, the attitude people have and this, if this is what they want to see, you've got to, you've got to um, you know, that's what you've got to deliver. That's, that's the, the style you've got you've to give them, uh, even if it's a little risky, even if it's a little bit, you know, sometimes it's going to misfire and people are going to say, you know, I hate that, you know. But, um, but it's, it's, a, it's a sort of a game you have to play now. Uh, because the sensibility has changed. So that's part of it. Part of it is to appeal to the sensibility. And then the other reason why we're going to see more advertising is just because with the Internet and with this whole viral phenomenon of people wanting to create something that becomes a phenomenon, um, the only way you do that, the only way you create a phenomenon is by taking some risks and by doing something uh, very offbeat, very original, um, you know, maybe a little controversial. Uh, you have to start to use those elements. And it's the only way you're going to stand out when there's a million messages and a million things hitting people. It's the only way. So the more, you know, the more viral things get and the more uh, media-saturated we get, the more mm-hmm. there's a need for, for uh, what advertising does, which is finding a way to be different. Well, let's do this, Warren. I have so much more I want to talk to you about. Let's take a quick break, and when okay. we come back, we'll talk more with you. We'll be back Sounds right good. after this. Okay. Hello. Sit tight and don't move. The Hook. We'll be back after this short break. Wow. I never saw anyone fish with such a wide net before. Oh, really? I don't like fishing with a pole. Can't catch the big ones fast enough. No kidding. You've got a bunch. Yeah, I know. This wide net gives me great distribution and reach. Really? How's it work? Well, fish like to move around to various parts of the lake, so by casting a wide net, I gather fish from everywhere they congregate. Wow, that's pretty smart. Thanks. Wide nets work. And they make you look smart. If you're looking to cast a wider net and fish where the fish are, Look Smart Advertising Solutions can help. Go to signup.looksmart.com to learn more. 
Generating buzz for your company is essential and now easier than ever with Paper Post, the consumer-generated advertising network. Our powerful network of bloggers at Paper Post will creatively expose your product or service through original link-generated ads and embedding video or audio on their sites. Launch your viral marketing campaigns with confidence and enjoy increased traffic with higher conversion rates only through Paper Post. Visit PaperPost.com and join the revolution. Viva la revolution! Attention webmasters. Wish you could convert more web traffic into cash? No need to rub a lamp. Just click on GenieKnows.com. Install a search box on your site or incorporate paid listings XML into search results. And at your command, GenieKnows.com pays cash for each result your users click on. Enjoy prompt payment and superior customer service. Earn even more through our referral program. GenieKnows has delivered results. G-E-N-I-E-K-N-O-W-S.com. Flashback, November 2004. A brand new radio station launched onto the World Wide Web. That station was WebmasterRadio.fm. Today, Webmaster Radio is one of the fastest growing internet media outlets in the world. The world. Webmaster Radio boasts one of the most respected talk radio lineups in the internet business world. Danny Sullivan, Chris Tall, Susan Brett, Jim Hedger, Barry Schwartz, Jeremy Shoemaker, Ryan and Jeffrey Eisenberg, Greg Nyland, Katie Kempner. We travel coast to coast to bring you the most extensive and detailed live coverage of the most high profile trade shows in the world. Ad tech, search engine strategy, RSA, Webmaster World, DMA, Ecom Expo. And we have brought you keynote speeches and interviews of some of the biggest influential names in business today. Eric Schmidt, Andrew Hayward, Barry Diller, John Patel, Keith Barras, and way too many others to mention. Our live programming and on-demand podcasting keeps the B2B world informed. We are WebmasterRadio.fm and we're everywhere. You have arrived at the destination for education and entertainment. WebmasterRadio.fm Because not everyone's last name is Gates. WebmasterRadio.fm We're everywhere. Now back to The Hook. The intersection of advertising and PR. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Now, here's your host. Hi, I'm Katie Kempner. Welcome back. Today I am talking to noted advertising writer and editor of One Magazine, my friend Warren Berger. Hello, Warren Berger. Hey, Katie. You know, you have one of those names. It's like the whole thing. Warren Berger. Right, that's right. Well, you know, you know who had that name before me, don't you? That was the former Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Yes, but do you think people called him War or they called him Warren Burger? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, but actually, people are. Um, he's starting to fade from the public memory because uh, people used to always say to me when they heard my name, they'd always mention him, and now I hear that less and less. So I guess people are. Poor Warren Burger, the original Warren Burger, is kind of being forgotten, I guess. And there's no relation. Uh, no, no relation. And in fact, I spell it differently. He he spelled it with a U, I believe, and I spell it with a burger with an E. He spelled it. With, now I used to know a girl that I went to high school with whose name was Katie Hamburger. Oh wow, that's a good name. Spelled with a U, and I was just happy that my last name wasn't Hamburger. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 a tough name. Tough name that to is swallow. A tough name. Yep. 
So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, marketing to men because this is something we've discussed a little bit in the in the past, and yeah. you have a, a definitive view on it. Sort of the just the state of how marketing to men is right now. Do you want to sort of talk about that? Yeah, well, it's it's kind of interesting. It's been going on for a while now, um, and I think maybe you know that there's a couple of of trends that maybe have sparked this movement, but. Um, uh, it may have initially been part of the whole, and I'm going to get this title backwards because I always do, but remember there's a famous book called Men Are From Venus and Women Are From Mars or vice versa. Maybe men yeah. were from Mars and women men are from, from Venus. Mars. And it was all about, you know, how the, um, the, the men and women are, are uh, in some ways so different from each other and so predictable in their responses to things in the way they differ. You know, you can almost always say, you know, a man is going to react this way in, in a given situation and a woman is going to react that way in a given situation. And um, it was interesting because right around the time that book was coming out, you started to see in the culture um, a lot of things reflecting that point of view, too. You started to see um, television shows, sitcoms, uh, like Everybody Loves Raymond or The King of Queens, and that were very much about the guy-guy and the woman-woman. And the guy would always do this. He'd always behave the same way in the sitcom. You know, he was always sort of, uh, you know, he watched too much football. He never wanted to do anything around the house. He, you know, he was kind of a big lug, a big lovable lug. And the woman was always having to try to get him in line and that kind of thing. And it became sort of, it was interesting, stereotypical view of the genders that, that you saw, you know, coming out in sitcoms. And at the same time, I saw it happening more and more in ads, you know, that, that depiction of, of mm-hmm. you know, uh, men being a certain way. And you especially saw it in ads directed at men. And that's the funny thing, you know, the ads, you would think that maybe ads directed towards men wouldn't present such a stereotypical view, you know, fearing that men might be offended by it. But instead, they reveled in the stereotypical view. You know, they loved presenting guys being guys, you know, guys sort of being going to football games and burping and doing all the things guys do, you know. And it became a whole way that advertising started to speak to men, especially young men, as sort of saying, you know, you're a guy, we know you're a guy, isn't it great to be a guy? And sort of celebrating the whole manliness of being a guy. And that has continued to be a very, very strong advertising uh, approach uh, for the last couple of, last few years. And I think it's just getting stronger than ever. And uh, you see it in beer commercials, you see it in car commercials, you see it in, um, you know, all kinds of commercials. And uh, it's, it's very interesting to me because um, on the one hand, I think it's very funny. You know, it's usually done with, it, with tongue-in-cheek, mm-hmm. and it's usually played, it's played for laughs a lot. You know, um, CPB does a bunch of these kind of ads, and, and they always do them with a really good sense of humor. The, there's always, the tongue is always firmly in cheek, you know, um, so they can be fun to watch. But at the same time, um, you know, what I find them interesting, I'm not bothered by them, but I just find them kind of interesting because they're, they're sort of tapping into these, these masculinity issues. And it reminds me of um, the fact that, you know, if you go back a few years, ads for women used to always play off women's insecurities, right? And they, they were sort of, they were criticized for that. They were criticized for the fact that, you know, ads that were targeted at women were always trying to make women feel like they weren't quite good enough, you know, mm-hmm. like they were, that maybe there was something wrong with them or they weren't, you know, feminine enough or something. Something was, was missing 
and you know the advertising was sort of pushing those buttons you know and um and now it's kind of reversed and, and ads to men are kind of pushing a button and the button they're pushing is they the button seems to be asking the guys are you manly enough are you really a guy um uh, because if you know you you need to be real guyish in this day and age and um and as i say it's done in a very humorous very tongue in cheek way but i think it's kind of a funny reversal of the old playing off the gender insecurity. So it's theory. almost like the backlash from being a metrosexual went even yeah. further than the metrosexual ever Absolutely. did. Absolutely, yeah. And, and that, I was gonna, that's a good point. The metrosexual thing is a big part of what this is playing off of. And, you know, the, the metrosexual trend, which really... I don't know if it's really that big a trend. You know, it was just a couple of articles that ran in magazines, and you know, it, it, it got a lot of play for a while. That you know, there was this new kind of guy who was who was very into um, you know into grooming himself a lot, and you know, it was, it had had some characteristics of a woman. You know, and he mm-hmm. cared about his appearance too much and that sort of thing. Um, and the advertisers. You know, just really the ones who are doing this type of advertising have really gone after that metrosexual uh, uh, sort of um, uh, stereotype because it's a great it's a great way to reinforce this whole idea of guyhood. You know, to say you know to sort of to sort of make fun of you know the metrosexual thing, and it is it is actually a, an easy target to make fun of too. It's sort of a fun target to to make fun of, but um, but uh, again, it was it provided a way for the advertisers to really reach the guy market and the young guy market by just saying, you know, by sort of celebrating the opposite of metrosexual, by celebrating, you know, being being a very macho. Uh, and I don't know if macho is the right word. When I think of macho, I think of uh, somebody trying to beat people up or, or, or be tough. That's not really what it's celebrating. It's celebrating something else, which is, Guys being um, being themselves and not not caring too much about uh, you know uh, appearances or niceties and just kind of uh, letting it all hang out and and being a guy and that seems to be the thing that advertising is is really um, celebrating while at the same time maybe tapping into the insecurity of guys by saying you know. Are you really a guy, or are you, you know, kind of a softy, or are you kind of someone who's a metrosexual, or whatever, you know? So it's it's an interesting it's an interesting psychological dynamic that's going on there. So where do you think that's going? Um, I think it'll I think it'll play itself out. Those kind of trends, um, you know, eventually when there are too many ads like that, or too many things putting out that message. Eventually, it will. Uh, you know, you'll probably see a, a kind of, people just get sick of it. People will just get sick of that whole strain of humor that's about a guy being a guy. You know, it, it's going to get old at some point. I, I, to me, it's already gotten a little old. Um, maybe not to the. Uh, maybe the the um, there's a larger segment of maybe younger guys who are still sort of responding well to it. But um, I think it may get a little played out. On the other hand, maybe it's, you know, it could be one of those things that's an evergreen. It could be something where, especially if you're, if you're targeting um, young guys who are sort mm-hmm. of um, just becoming men, you know, that maybe they will always have this little bit of insecurity about, am I really enough of a guy? And so maybe it will always work. You know, maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that appeal is, is a universal 
evergreen kind of thing, especially when you're going after like maybe a guy who's 18 years old and you know is is very concerned with these issues. Which actually would be a huge shame in the same way that, you know, if you're a woman that doesn't look exactly like the way women look according yeah. to, you know, the standards that advertising, not to get on the soapbox, but, you yeah. know, that advertisers have created in Hollywood, right. then you also are never feeling quite good enough about yourself. So I hope that that doesn't end up being the case. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the, that's the one problem I have with that style of advertising or 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 lots of different styles of advertising, is I just get a little, un- a little uncomfortable with stereotypes, you know, of any kind. I think when you stereotype any group of people or you, you know, you, you sort of, I don't know, you kind of encourage a certain stereotype. Um, I don't like it because what it says is that, what the message it seems to be saying is that, um, you know, we should all behave a certain way if we're part of a certain group. And or we should all look a certain way or something or other. You know, yeah. this, well, that's the problem with stereotypes is that, um, you know, they, they seem to be um, denying the fact that we live in a world where that is extremely diverse, you know, and where people are a million different ways. They can be both a, a very guyish and not guyish at the same time. And a, a woman can be very feminine and at the same time she can be a jock. And, you know, people are very, very complex. And I just don't like it when they get reduced, you know, when people get reduced down to, you know, the most basic element of, of who they're supposed to be. And that's the one part of it that, that I guess gets under my skin a little bit. But, you know, on the other hand, I do recognize that a lot of it is done um, with a sense of humor. And maybe what the advertisers are saying is, you know, hey, we're having fun with this. Don't take it too seriously. We don't really, you know, we don't believe this 100%. We're just kind of playing off. We're exaggerating the stereotypes a little bit, and we're having fun with it. So if you look at it that way, maybe it's not, you know, then, it, then it's not so bad. You should, uh, everyone should probably lighten up and just laugh at it. But, uh, you know, lighten up. Have a cocktail. Yeah. Right. Have a beer. Lighten up and have a beer. Yeah, have I mean, it, just, it really depends on the attitude you look at it with. And, um, and that's why... It's funny, that's why humorous advertising can get away with a lot. You know, when you do something with a sense of humor, mm-hmm. you, can, you, can have, you can play around with stereotypes, and you can do things that if you didn't have a sense of humor, it would be really, um, you know, it would be a disaster. But if you have a good sense of humor, you can, you can get away with a lot of stuff. So maybe because those ads, if they're funny enough, and if they have a light enough touch, um, you know, maybe they can get away with some of the, the stereotyping. Well, I was really intrigued by that Dove campaign, which, going back to what we were talking about, about YouTube, when it yeah. came out, I got from about seven different people, because they've sort of heard my spiel before about, you know, women, I have a daughter, and I certainly don't want her to feel that she has to live up to certain stereotypes. Sure, and, you absolutely. Know, but but the, um, that Dove campaign, I don't know if you saw it, where they take a pretty but pretty average-looking woman and mm. change, you know, and show everything that they do to make her then where she's yeah, ready for like an ad, that. and, you know, she's not a human by the end. Right, right. I like that. That's a very, very effective ad. And I think that's, uh, you know, that's a really smart um, approach for Dove to be doing. I think they're really going to tap into... Um, you know they're 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 tapping into something very um you know very important there and um and 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 you know they're they're sort of criticizing advertising itself uh while they're doing ads which is which is always an interesting thing to do you know i mean um when i look at ads that criticize ads that sort of make fun of ads or yeah. or that you know 
I always have a mixed reaction to it. Um, and on the one hand, I say, yeah, that's, that's interesting that they're criticizing ads. But on the other hand, it's, I ask myself, can an ad really criticize advertising? It's, it's sort of like, you know, having it both ways. You're like an ad, and yet you're criticizing advertising. <laughs> it's a funny thing. It's, it's, it's just one of those odd things. But, um, but I, do, I do think that's effective, and I think, um, you know, I think that'll, uh, that, that's a really good – the Dove campaign is just a really good campaign. It's just so funny. No one thought of that before to do sort of real women in ads, right? I mean, how, how obvious is that? And it's, it's amazing that it's taken this long – for someone to, you know, to uh, do something like what Dove has done with their with their Real Women campaign, just amazing. Yeah. It's it's a very, uh, it ma- it makes a bad statement uh, on the advertising world that it took them that long to figure out that they could do do something successful involving real women with all different body types. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I I completely agree with you. And yet, on the other hand, you know, if I'm going to buy a new lipstick, I'm probably going to buy it because I see it on a really attractive model as opposed to, you know. Absolutely. Listen, there are reasons why, you know, advertisers do the things they do. They're not doing them to be malicious. You know, they're not doing them because they, you know, they hate women or they whatever, you know. They're doing it because these things work. And, you know, so then it becomes a question of, are you going to do the thing that works and just continue to perpetuate the old way of doing it? Or are you going to be, take a risk and try to break the rule and go the other way and see if it works? And that way, you know, maybe you'll have a success and you can also feel really good about what you're doing. And that's exactly what the, the Dove campaign did. You know, it kind of, it kind of went the other way. It, it broke the rules and in doing so, it had a huge success. So yeah. what it shows you is that, you know, you, yeah, you, you, those rules exist for a reason, and there's a reason why pretty people sell in ads, and there's a reason why sex in ads sells and all kinds of stuff. Um, but there's also a way to turn those rules around and succeed in a different way. So, you know, it just depends on how you do it. In, I'm going to be interested in this award show season to see how the Dove work does. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think it'll do. I think it'll do pretty well. I think it'll do pretty well. Although then, you never know. You yeah. never know because you know if when you look at this, there's, there's a certain creative snobbery um, where people in advertising, um, when it comes to awards, they are judging sometimes on on sheer cleverness. Okay, that is like that is like. Item number one is how clever is something, okay? Yeah. And, and the Dove work is not particularly clever. If you think of clever as being, you know, um, funny and, uh, you know what I mean? If you, if you use that definition of clever, um, then the Dove work is, is not particularly clever. If you, if you define clever as being smart, then yes, then, it, then it's clever in that way. It's smart. It's very smart. It makes a lot of sense. So it'll depend on whether the judges, you know, how the judges decide to, um, you know, uh, use the word clever <laughs> when it comes to the Dove campaign. Uh, and that, that'll determine whether it wins awards or not. Well, Warren, I, I want to get your opinion on award shows as, on a whole. I mean, you know, a, a lot of advertising agencies spend a lot of money and a lot of time entering different award shows, and there's some shows that are considered the cream of the crop. And, right. you know, I've had a, 
show about Can. Um, I've had Amy Brophy from the Cleos on this show. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you know, and, and CPB enters a lot of award shows, and there's sort of the idea that, you know, you can recruit better people if you win, and, yeah. you know, you can make the people in the agency feel good if they win, and maybe you're going to get new clients. What do you think? I mean, sort of throwing on your editor of yeah. one magazine well yeah and i should say as a you know full um full disclosure that one magazine is affiliated with one with an award uh, yeah. group the one the one club so you know people could say i have an agenda here too um but i you know i i don't try to you know uh, the magazine doesn't promote the one club or the one show particularly it's more about promoting creativity you know good creative work and advertising um and that's kind of where i i come from too i don't necessarily I'm, i don't get into the one show that much i don't get into that whole thing um i my opinion about award shows is that you know they do serve a purpose um an important purpose in in advertising because uh, you, you just need that way to recognize there's so much advertising out there, and you need a standard to help kind of, you know, separate the good work out, and, and you need a place where people can look at the good work so that they know what is good, and then they can turn around and do good work, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And so, so it serves a really important function of just bringing together the best work and educating people within the industry on what is good advertising and what isn't. And in turn, it probably raises the level of, of advertising that we get exposed to because a lot of people, uh, part of the reason they're creating good ads is so that they, they can win an award show, you know, win an award at a show. And on the, on the one hand, you can criticize that and say, oh, gee, isn't that superficial? But on the other hand, if it, if it gets them to do better work, who cares? You know, that's fine. It, it means in the end we'll see more good advertising than bad advertising, partly because there are these award shows and people are motivated by them or inspired by them or what have you. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the, that's the, the role it, it plays that, that kind of helps all of us. And I, think all, I really do think it helps all of us, even people who aren't in advertising, mm-hmm. because I, I happen to think advertising is like, you know, um, Jeff Goodby uh, used to talk about advertising in this sort of environmental way, and I agree with it, which is that advertising is part of our environment. It surrounds us every day, everywhere we turn, and we're not going to get rid of it. It's not going anywhere. So we either can be surrounded by stuff that is interesting and makes us laugh, or we can be surrounded by stuff that irritates us and drives us crazy. And so if those are the two choices, I want the first choice. You know, I want, the, I want to be surrounded by stuff that, doesn't, that isn't obnoxious. And so therefore, I think award shows, in, in a way, help to make that, to, to clean up that advertising environment and at least make it more, um, more palatable. Um, of course, there are people out there who wish all the ads would go away and wish they would say, I don't care if it's good, bad, or wh- whatever. I hate ads. I don't want them around. Well, you know what? I don't think that's going to happen. You know, we live in a capitalist society. Um, I just, I think ads are a fact of life, and therefore we have to say, you know, what is the way that we're going to make those ads the least objectionable and the most um, interesting? I and completely agree with you. I mean, people, 
as long as things are being made and are being sold and, you know, places that people want you to go to, marketers right. are going to find ways to communicate their messages to you. So I agree with you that you want, would rather be uh, approached in an interesting and, in, and fun way. And it, with that vein, I want to ask you, <laughs> this is like a really self-promoting bad segue. I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed a little, but <laughs> I wanted okay. to spend the last few minutes talking about the new book that you wrote with us at CPB, Hoopla, which is coming out at the end of the month from Powerhouse yeah, Books. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Hoopla is, you know, I, I, I've known the, the people at CPB for a long time. I, was, I, was, I think I was the first journalist to write about the agency, um, and uh, I kind of stumbled upon uh, when they were still Crispin and Porter, they weren't. Uh, you know, they didn't even have Alex Bogusky's name in the, at that right. point. Although he was, he was there, and he was one of the <laughs> important people. But but it was just Crispin and Porter at the time, um, and uh, and so I've I've have a long history. And so when I started talking to Alex about this, you know, the idea was, you know, the agency wanted wanted to sort of in a book be able to you know encapsulate what some of its philosophies are and how it how it has managed to do the work it has done and uh, and and how does it how does it happen uh what's the what's the you know what's the sort of the um the chemistry going on there and um and so it was really interesting to try to get that down into words uh as well as images you know the the book is wild looking in terms of the images i mean it's just you know it just comes at you with a lot of force but um but then the words we tried to uh you know to really kind of explain what are the what are the six or seven keys to what mm-hmm. Crispin and Porter Bogusky does and it wasn't easy to 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 arrive at that and boil it down and then the other thing we tried to do which is which is interesting is in addition to all that we tried to make it a little bit of a service book that someone reading it even if they're not in advertising could could sort of pull out these principles of hoopla, um, which is hoopla being the word for just what Crispin and Porter Bogusky does to create a phenomenon, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe you're not even in advertising. Maybe you're an entrepreneur starting your own business, or maybe you're selling T-shirts or something. But what can you do? Uh, what lessons can you take from this to create your own hoopla, maybe on a much smaller scale, you know, um, so that you can create a little phenomenon yourself. And and that was really interesting. I mean, we, we really developed almost a whole, you know, um, philosophy of how to do that, too, almost in a how-to almost in a how-to manner. So it was a really interesting project to work on, and I think it's going to, you know, I think a lot of people are in advertising are going to love the book, and I hope it'll even get outside the advertising world and, you know, and resonate with some people, uh, you know, who just are looking to market themselves. And we hope so, too. Now, let me also ask you about uh, your first novel, The Purples. Yes. What's I happening just, with that? <laughs> well, I just rewrote it for the second time or something like that, and it's um, it's now being in the last couple of weeks. It has gone out to um, all the publishing houses, so it's an interesting time. It's being looked at. Um, I'm hearing some of the initial feedback on it, and it's a scary time to be, uh, uh, you know, to be waiting for the um, for the feedback to come back. But um, but it's a it's a it's a really interesting novel. It's about um, uh, Detroit in the 1920s, and it's about a gang, real life gang that uh, sort of rose up at that time and almost took over the city. Uh, they were called the Purple Gang, and I was really intrigued. I just learned about these guys, and I thought, why are they called the Purple Gang? That's really interesting. And I just wanted to find out more about them. 
they were also mentioned once in a song by Elvis Presley. Um, mm. So they, yeah, the, the song Jailhouse Rock has a lyric that says the whole rhythm section was the Purple Gang. And I, you know, their, their name pops up in little places through history, but nobody has ever really told their story. And so I went back and kind of dug out in, through the archives in Detroit, like, who are these guys and what, what, what did they do? And, um, and it was a really interesting story, although I decided not to do it as nonfiction. I decided to do it as a novel because there were too many holes in the story. Uh, you know, it was hard to know why they did this or what happened to this guy or whatever. There was, like, no record of some of the things. So mm-hmm. I, had to fill in the, I had to fill in the gaps with fiction. And, um, and it ended up being a really fascinating story that kind of took over my life for about a year. And uh, so it's out there now, and we'll see what, we'll see what comes of it. So we have to look out for the per- the book, The Purples, which will be made into a movie starring yeah. Vigo Mortensen, my fave, and then okay. the book, Hoopla, and uh, Warren, you know, we are out of time. I want to thank you so, so very much for joining me today. Great. It was a lot of fun, as always, Katie. You're a wonderful guest. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving, everybody, and thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>